production. Here's the thing. You are standing on a mountain of knowledge about something, and there's never been a better time to turn that knowledge into an online course and make a million bucks. Today's guest did just that. It's a get-rich-quicker-than-you-think episode 561 of the 12-year-old, award-winning, small-business, big-marketing podcast. Well, I said, welcome to a small-business marketing show, where successful small-business owners share their souls. To take your marketing straight to the lead, now here's your host, Mr. Timbo And welcome back to your weekly dose of online marketing education. I'm your host, Timbo Reed, and I have an insatiable curiosity for uncovering marketing strategies and ideas that help businesses just like yours to grow. You, so much more importantly, are a motivated business owner and you're ready to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves to be. And that's exactly why this podcast exists. So, as per usual, team... There's marketing, G-O-L-D, dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck right in. A quick thank you to everyone who has joined the Small Business Big Marketing Tribe on Facebook this week. It's great to have you. It's now 1,600 strong, 1,600 motivated business owners. We talk to each other each day. We share ideas. We ask questions. We hold each other accountable. If you want to join, all you need to do is go to Facebook and look for Small Business Big Marketing Tribe, answer three incredibly tough questions. I'll approve you and I'll see you on the inside. Now, today's guest, Tina Tower. She first appeared on this show over 400 episodes ago. Back then, she was the founder of an early childhood franchise that had 35 centres and 120 staff. And in fact, Tina was the youngest Australian female ever to start a franchise business. Back then, life was hectic. So hectic, Tina had a breakdown, which led to her selling the business and taking off around the world with a hubby and two young kids, clearly pre-COVID. Now, it was during this time, Tina discovered the power of creating and selling online courses. And upon returning, her empire continued to grow to the point that it turned over a million bucks in its second year with just one staff member, herself. Today, Tina continues to run the business from her coastal home with just two staff, and it makes more money and has a greater impact than she ever did running a franchise company. In fact, Tina's already helped hundreds of people, just like you and I, package up their expertise into an online course and launch it to the world. So, if the idea of turning your knowledge into an online course that generates a decent income and allows you to work less hours from anywhere appeals, and why wouldn't it, then you're going to love what Tina shares. And if you can't wait, then check out how to get started at tinatower.com forward slash Timbo, where you'll find a nice little bonus offer from me. One last point, Put all scepticism aside, put all limiting beliefs aside, and listen to what Tina has to share with an open mind, because she is the real deal. She has done what she's about to share with you, and it works. I started off by asking her how run down she actually got. Way too run down. Um, look, I think, you know, the story of the frog in the boiling pot and they don't realise until they boil to death. I actually didn't think it was so 
bad. I thought I was, I thought I was okay. I was just tired. And then, like you said, we traveled around the world, which now in pandemic times, I'm so incredibly grateful for. Um, but it was only like, it took a few months. And then it, we woke up one day and I was sitting on the front of a boat in Croatia as, as you do. <laughs> and felt so clear in the head and so well and went, oh, I have totally forgotten what that felt like. Wow. Was there actually a moment in deciding to sell your bricks and mortar business or after selling where you hit rock bottom? Yeah, there was there was like a succession, like there usually is. There was like mm-hmm. a domino effect of, of a succession of things that happened really, really fast. Um, so one of the days I, I thought I was having a heart attack. Um, I was hyperventilating so much and was throwing up and my hands were shaking and I was bent over and I could not breathe. And that just like totally, <laughs> totally made me go, what on earth? Um, because I've always prided myself on, you know, being able to handle a lot of pressure and being able to strive under that pressure. Um, but I think it was just too sustained. At that time, I'd been in business for 13 years and I had been sprinting nonstop. I'd opened multiple businesses. I had babies. I didn't have any break at all. And yeah, it all caught up to me. And so it was that, and I got fat. That was, and you know, I used to be a little bit ashamed of saying that that was my catalyst. Like I couldn't remember at the end a time when I didn't feel nauseous, but that for me, I'd learnt to handle, you know, I'd learnt to learnt to handle the nausea. I'd learnt to handle headaches being a normal part of my day. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I started just piling on weight for no reason at all, like eating really well, moving my body, just getting fatter and fatter every month, I was like, whoa, hang on a minute, what's happening here? And that's when I went to the doctor and they were like, okay, my body stopped producing cortisol. It had been so tapped out from making so much cortisol for so long that it broke, really. Wow. Yeah. Was there anyone around you, Tina, that tapped you on the shoulder and said, you know, uh, look, things look good on the outside, but you seem to be deteriorating or you just didn't have that kind of mentorship or friendship? No, I did, yeah. Pretty much everybody. (laughs) (laughs) All of them. I mean, my husband was getting really concerned for me. At the end, I started drinking quite a bit as well. Um, And, you know, I had business coaches that were like, you know, you need to take your foot off the accelerator. And But I, you know, I've learned a lot in my days, especially in the last 10 years, really. It's been 17 years now of business. And really in the last 10 is when I've started to come at it from a really different place. And and for me, there was that, that desperation, that fear of if I did for one second stop, the momentum would stop and everything would come crashing down instantly around me. And so, yeah, yeah. I know and I feeling. just couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to do it. Mm. So firstly, thank you for your honesty there. It's beautiful, like very refreshing to hear from a business owner who, you know, Everything's going right in the business, yeah. except your health. Yeah. And there's a lot listening who probably haven't yet admitted that, that hey, you know, I could feel weller. Yeah. You know, I could feel better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you sell the business and you start advising others on how to build successful service-based businesses. Yes. And what do you quickly realise? Ah, uh, that we say the same things a lot. <laughs> 
So the technical side of things, I mean, because I did what I did in business and did franchising, I am a systems ninja. I've got a process and a system for everything. And even the business that we built, I mean, yes, I totally burnt myself out and I'm well aware of that, but we built you know, $5 million a year company with three staff. Like it's just incredible. And a lot of that was because of systems and automation. So I had a lot of other people asking me, how can they implement that into their own businesses? So I started doing private coaching, but kept repeating the same stuff over and over and over again. And so that's where I first thought, you know, we could do some sort of online program Mm -hmm. so that all of the similar stuff is there because people are paying a lot of money for private coaching. And then when they've got their one-on-one, it can be really specific just for them. And that's how I kind of accidentally tripped and fell into the online course world. Had you been a, a, a buyer of online courses previously? What was your view on them? Yes. Yes, I had. Um, so I have been, oh, I think like I bought Brendan Bouchard's and Anthony Robbins courses like (laughs) way back in the day, like when no one was doing them. Um, And just like, I love learning. I'm a primary teacher by heart. I, you know, love education and I put all of my success down to investing a lot in my education throughout the years in coaches and programs and conferences and and all of those those sorts of wonderful things. Um, So yeah, I had used them. I just didn't because I came from the school of thought of traditional business and, you know, the harder I work, the luckier I get. And while they sleep, I work and all of that sort of thing. Mm. I kind of saw a lot of the industry and went bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, and and many do. Yes. Yes. Anyway, I quickly realised that I was an idiot. (laughs) Yeah. What was the bullshit meter in your mind saying? that there's a whole lot of people selling courses to their own benefit to get rich, but in actual fact, the people buying the courses are the ones not getting rich? Was that kind of what the the self-talk was around it? Well, no, I didn't think that because I was a student of a lot of courses and got a lot of value out of it. Um, For me, it was really um, the scalability I didn't quite believe. Um, What do you mean by that? You know, I'd hear, well, I'd hear people talking about like the less I work, the more I make. And I'd go, <laughs> yeah, okay, mm. <laughs> like just, yeah, no. Um, but it is kind of kind of true once you get into it. Um, but there's a lot that I've learnt about the online world that not a lot of people tell you and give, you know, a lot of people can feel like um, it's accessible to absolutely everybody, but it's not. The, the, just want to touch on that less I work, the more I make. Describe what that looks mm. like. I, I, I'm gathering that, and we're going to talk about how to build an online course, but it, right now the idea is like a lot of sunken costs and time up front. So busy up front, and then once it's all up there, you maintain it, you add to the content, but you, you build once and sell multiple, multiple, multiple times. Yes. Is that the Yes, that's, ex- yeah. that's exactly it, yeah. And even with like the heavy at the front, like you can have super professional all up and going for $10,000, which, you know, 
I know when I started my first business, it was $80,000 and that was on a mm. budget. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's incredible. It is incredible. Um, but in What, what does $10,000, and again, we're going to go into some detail shortly, mm. but again, what, what does $10,000 get you in building an online business? Yeah, so that's like the top end sort of way of doing it. Mm. That's a really professional website, having everything professionally recorded, all of your equipment, your branding done, all of that. So it's um, the barrier to entry now is what I love so much that it's it's kind of disappeared almost. Why aren't more people doing it, Tina? Oh, so many reasons. Um, so, so many reasons. I do think that, and I've worked with a lot of people that are incredibly smart, incredibly knowledgeable, that have created a product that is so valuable to so many people, um, but they're the best kept secret. And so a lot of people think, creating an online course is the hard part, but it's not. Any Anyone can actually, you know, synthesize your knowledge and put it into a digestible, simple product. The hard part, especially for traditional business owners, if you're going from business into online learning, is you become the product. And so you have to be able to embrace that personal branding and your expertise and your thought leadership and share that and kind of get out of your bubble and put the spotlight on you, which is where a lot of people fall down. Now, just a, a personal branding, big topic on this podcast over many years. So what you mean by that is if you are going to create an online course and share that mountain of knowledge that we're all standing on in some way, shape or form, um, you're saying, okay, then you've got to put yourself out there. You've got to be in the videos. You've got to be in the audios. You've got to be in the worksheets. You've got to put yourself out on your website like you have. Is that what you mean? There's no no, no more hiding behind it. This is, this is your time to shine. Yeah. And you're exactly that line that you just said, hiding behind. That's the hard part is a lot of people have built businesses and, and been able to kind of hide behind their brand in a way, but you step into the front there. And so, I mean, you talk all about marketing and it's never truer, I think, in online products is those who market well win. The internet is a very busy place. So you have to be able to stand out and to connect and offer great value to your customers if you want to get traction with it. I, I think the reality is we all know people buy from people. Yes. And the internet is a busy place and every industry and every category is flooded. And, you know, there is this product and service parity where everything's the same. So your point of difference is you and people are buying from you. You know, like I'm grateful for anyone listening to this podcast because there's a lot of business marketing podcasts out there. For, for whatever reason, they're buying into me and the way I present. And, and, and anyone looking, looking to do an online course, you kind of got to accept that, that people are going to be buying into you. Uh, I'm sure your knowledge is great and the content's great, but it's that kind of that personality that you put out there that people are going to be attracted or put off by. Yeah. And it's actually my favourite thing about it is because I never felt like I ran a franchise company. We started franchising when I was 27. So I was the youngest female in Australia to ever start a franchise company. And most of the franchisors when I'd go to conferences and things like that were older men in their 50s and 60s wearing all their suits. And for me to show up how I did, like I, I used to go into Portman's and buy like black suits <laughs> because I thought like I had to look a certain way and be professional, Tina, you know, whereas what is so beautiful about the online space is once you actually embrace who you are and just kind of come as you are, one, it makes everything so much easier because you can do interviews like this, you can do videos, you can do whatever it is just as you are. It doesn't have to be a big production. Um, 
But also you've got that attract or polarise. So some people will, you know, I've had people say to me, you're too happy. It's really annoying. (laughs) (laughs) I go, go, okay, and that's totally fine because if they want someone that's a grouchy pants, then they can go get someone who's a grouchy pants. Like there's enough of the market that you can actually, by being yourself, you'll attract your perfect customer and it's a more joyful life because you're getting to be true to who you really are. Is a certain personality type more successful in creating a successful online course? Is, is, it the intro, is it the extrovert here that wins or could anyone do it? Do you know what? So this has been one of my most interesting learnings. So I'm an introverted extrovert. So I can I can perform and I quite enjoy performing and speaking and, and doing like I love live launches and all of that. Sort of, but I'm a homebody and, and as introverted as they, they come really. And most of my successful clients are introverts. Really? It's been, yes, it's been so interesting because what I find is extroverts, it's actually hard to exist. It's quite a lonely world. Most of the time you're in front of your webcam and your mic. That's what you're doing. There's nobody else around. There's nobody giving you that instant feedback. It's very self-driven. It's what you're doing when no one's watching. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I find for introverts, they can do that. They can show up. They they perform, and then they switch it off, and they're they're back to their beautiful <laughs> hermit introverted life. But for extroverts, I find it's actually a little bit harder because they're not getting that that in person energy exchange. Yeah, feedback. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so that that makes sense for I guess the majority of the time that you are running a successful online course. But the pointy end of creating a successful online course is the videos, is the audios, are the photos that you need taken in order to build your personal brand, put on your website, is to be out there on social media. How's that working for the introverts? So we call it the performance. And if you think, so have you, um, have you, have you seen that Beyonce documentary? No. She, okay, so the, the premise is she's amazing, like all bow down. Um, but one thing that I loved about <laughs> what she said was she found it really hard to perform when she was getting started and all of the judgment that would come. And so that's how she created her alter ego of Sasha Fierce. So when she steps onto stage, it's not Beyonce, the sister and the mom and the partner, it's Sasha Fierce. She owns that, she shakes her booty, she does all the things and then she steps off that stage and she's back. So she chooses which parts of herself to show to the public. And I found that is actually a really beautiful way to do it. It's not pretending to be someone else, but it's saying these are the parts of myself that I will illuminate for this time and I can step into that and let it shine so that I can get my message across. I love that. I've not heard of Sasha Fierce, the, the, her, her alter ego. I'm going to watch that documentary. Yeah, That's a great so way. Good. Of, it's all about mindset, right? And I've often spoken when I talk about branding, the idea of you know every business or every personal brand, you've got to identify like three or four personality traits that you would love people to use when describing you and you amp up each of those traits depending on the circumstances. You might be on stage, so you amp up, you know, your extrovert and or you might be, you know, doing the accounts, so you amp up, you know, the librarian in you or whatever it may exactly. be, the accountant. Hello to you, all you librarians, you know, uh, you know <laughs> what I mean. Yeah. So I love that. Thank you for sharing that. So Tina, you get to a point where you've gone, okay, I'm repeating a whole lot of information. Uh, I'm going to put all this online 
and I'm going to create a course and I'm going to sell it. I'm guessing at that point, that's the first time you've embarked on on such a project and you bumbled your way through, I guess, got a website built, used some software and you're out there. Describe the period from having the idea then to making a profit of say, I don't know, five grand a month? Oh, like the first month? (laughs) Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was with my business coaching program. So I ran that for about nine months before I did my first uh, like self-paced, total um, self-driven course. So I launched that. uh, It took me... It take me about eight days to film it. And then I did a seven day launch. So that was my first ever, like open the doors. It's here for a limited time, close the doors, sort of full on proper launch. Um, and in that I made $11,000. So not a lot, but that was the moment for me that I was like, hooked. Oh my gosh. It was proof. This is going to be a million dollar business. This is, I'm hooked. Uh-huh. <laughs> like it was just amazing. And also really weird to like closed the doors to that. And then I had all these people taking my course and I wasn't serving them. So as someone who had been exchanging time for money for a very, very long time, it was a lot of mind, um, I won't swear, you know, the, the, the yeah, a lot of mind bending. <laughs> you can swear. <laughs> mind fuckery it was in going. Yeah, I thought that's where you were going. Yeah, in going, hang on, this doesn't make sense with the world as I know it. Um, and I had a period after I did it that I felt very guilty that I was like, hang on, I've taken people's money, but I'm not giving anything to them in return, even though they were accessing all of that, I wasn't giving me to them. And so it took me a while to really get comfortable with, instead of trading that time for money, I was now trading like tools and value for money. It wasn't actually dependent on my time. It's just the leverageability and the scalability of it just, it blows my mind. Well, it's sort of infinite, isn't it? Yeah, it depends on how you run it. So for short courses, so I've got short courses and I've got a mastermind membership and that is not infinite because, well, I mean, I guess we could keep scaling, keep adding team members and that sort of thing, but it's very, they're very accessible to me. So I'm capped at how many people I can actually serve properly in that. Um, But traditional online courses and our evergreen courses that we have available all the time, there's no cap on that. People, you know, we could make millions and millions and millions, which a lot of people do, and it wouldn't change what we have to do from a business structure. Mm -hmm. Just with your courses, so because shortly we're going to go through, you know, what is a a million dollar micro business and actually how do you build one? So stay tuned, everyone, for listening. But I'm really keen to sort of establish where you came from and how you got to be doing what you're doing. So right now, if we go uh, to your website, we're gonna there's going to be offers of one-on-one coaching. Um, there is offers of memberships. Um, you can buy a course, a fully eight, an eight-week course where you just watch a bunch of videos, do a bunch of worksheets. There's no interaction with you. Or there's the option where you know you you have access to you and you build the whole business for someone, correct? Is that the sort of the four yeah. options? That's where the money's? Yeah. So, so taking that a bit further, where is the money in these businesses? So I've just talked about people buying courses from you. Uh, what percentage of that is your turnover versus I'm guessing affiliate sales because you're you're a big proponent of, of Kajabi, which is the platform on which you build an on, you can build an online course, and I'm sure you promote other things. So, we're what percentage affiliate? What percentage just pure sales of courses? Yeah, so we only get about two percent uh, of our revenue a year is from affiliate links. Um, wow! So not 
a lot, but it's because we earn so much money in the other things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so short courses equate for about 30% and then the I rest... I love how you just go, because we earn so much money <laughs> from all the other things and just burst out into laughter. Isn't it beautiful? Yeah. And no guilt attached to that at all. No. Well, I mean, I've... <laughs> so for me, I see the results and that's all I care about is, is I am literally giving people tools so that they can get results. And I can't, you know, I wish I could go to everyone's house that buys it every morning and get them out of bed and say, come on, do the thing. Um, But I can't go that far. But the people that do it, the results that they get, like I know how valuable it is. So for a $1,500 course, the average that people get back after they do that is anywhere from $20,000 to $50,000. And so I go like, that's just, yeah, I don't feel guilty about that. I feel fabulous about that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Why (laughs) wouldn't you? How yeah, do you how do you track success? I'm guessing people actually go go, go I'm gonna, before you answer that. People who have success, who buy your courses and have success, is there something that connects them all besides the fact that they're willing to take action and implement? Because many people buy on, online courses and and think, oh, that felt good. I'll just put it on the shelf now. But yeah, what connects the successful ones? Yeah, well, that you totally on it with that. So Kajabi is the software I use, and they put out the statistic that only three percent of people that purchase an online course complete. Wow! Like. Yeah. So super low. So one of the things that I really try and teach people through online courses is that it's an experience and you have to have customer engagement of some sort in there to encourage people to complete because courses are just a transformation promise. I'll get you from point A to point B the quickest, easiest way possible. But if you can't get people to point B and they're not getting those results, you're dead in the water. So a part of the struggle is getting the people that purchase to actually complete it. And and the way that you usually do that is don't charge too little. Um, so that's a big mistake that a lot of people use is they make it too cheap and then people just forget about it and go, meh, you know, I can't be bothered. So charging something that, and this is the hard part is, you know, people coming from traditional business with products, you know, you buy something for $2, you sell it for $4. It's a very simple equation. Whereas sometimes it can feel funny going, so like my short course is $1,500, but it costs us no extra to deliver that. Like we send out a card. So this cost is about $10 to be able to service that client. So, you know, it can seem like like the markup's pretty good, but we have to charge that so that people complete it. I think there's two parts to that. One is, yeah, you do. People value something if they pay good money for it. You give something away for free, they're less likely to value it. Um, the, the, the second part of that is, and, and a great friend, a combined friend of ours, Andrew Griffiths, he's just written mm. a fantastic book called, you know, Someone Has to Be the Most Expensive, It May As Well Be You. So, <laughs> and it's a great book and, and it does. Again, it, it sets that mindset around valuing what you do. And the third part of that is, certainly I learned this way, way back when I was in advertising, when I first was out of uni and we had to charge a concept development fee on all jobs, which, you know, in advertising, you're off copywriting stuff, graphic design, all that kind of stuff, which is, you know, we're paying someone an hourly rate to do that. But you've got to value the idea. And that's what the concept development fee was. And some clients didn't get it because it's like, but, you know, you were just sitting around throwing around a few ideas. But yeah, those ideas come from a place of experience. Someone had an experience in order to generate that idea. And so we really have to value what we know. And I mean, I've, I've also been guilty of looking at some online courses and going like, oh my 
goodness, like that is just so much dough. But yeah, I guess you've got to, you've got to mm. value that experience. The hard part is um, for people that aren't delivering business, yes. um, like B2B sort of things. So for me, I can go, like I know from the results of our clients, they're going to make about ten to 50000 back from doing that course. That's the first time. So each time they repeat. So mine's like limited launch formula, how to do a supercharged launch for your course. And so I know they're going to do it, but they've got that skill set then to repeat again and again and again. So I can charge that very easily because of value. But then there's someone else, like the last online course that I took was um, how to create a healthy organic garden because I've got really into growing our own it. food and, and doing all of that. You know, if the apocalypse comes, <laughs> I'm good. Um, but I needed to know how to harvest my broccoli and, and do all the different things that I couldn't find. And so I did a course for it. Now, they're very limited. That was 297 And I don't know whether people would pay much more than that because you can't get a monetary return. So when people can sell something to give people money back, then obviously that's, you can charge more premium prices and and that's kind of unfair, but that just is the way it is. Yeah, okay. So just to be clear on that, what you're saying here, like you and I, if we create online courses, they're business related and, you know, generally you can charge more and generally they're tax deductible. Exactly. If you are creating something... I don't know, let's make it up here. Well, around dating or organic gardening or relationships. Are you saying that therefore buyers of those kind of things are more price sensitive and you're going to have to sell, you're going to charge less and sell a lot more to make a million bucks? Yeah, that's it. So you're going, it's a different strategy. So I always say like pick your lane, go um, high cost, low volume or go low cost, high volume um, because then your marketing messaging can be really clear for that. Um, but even when there's not a monetary return, I mean, there's a millionaire matchmaker lady who does like, you just reminded me with the dating sort of thing. Um and she charges a premium price, but she does that to attract premium customers. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Yeah. So you can you can use your pricing to determine who your clients are going to be as well. Tina, what do you say to people listening to this? And and generally, although I know I have a lot of cubicle escapees listening to this show, those trapped in the cubicle, (laughs) working for the man or woman, dying to get out and start their own business. So here's your opportunity. Um, But there there are people listening who are working, they've got a corporate job, they're earning good money. So they're sort of tied to that in some circumstances, got the corporate handcuffs on, if you like, but are miserable. They're miserable, they're unhealthy, they're like you were, you know, adrenal fatigue, you know, but it's like, oh, but I'm earning good money and it's paying the bills. But all they want to do is have a lifestyle like yours. All they want to do is share the knowledge that they're, that mountain of knowledge that they're standing on. And they just don't know how. They, it's not as if they can't, but they don't know how to take the leap into the unknown. Is this something that can be a side hustle, a bridge is there some way of testing this without leaving the job and rolling the dice? Yeah, for sure. And look, I will be totally open and say, I think it's really hard. And I think a lot of people find it even harder because they think that because it's hard, they're doing something wrong. Um, What's really hard? Getting started and leaving that safety of the job. Make, making the decision. Yes. Not, not not building the cause, making the decision making is hard. Is that decision, what you're saying? Making the decision, yeah. I yes. mean, I've got friends that, you know, are on $200,000, $300,000 a year salaries and they hate it, exactly as you said, but that is such a risk to leave that. And people say to me all the time, gosh, you know, that must have been hard starting business so young. It was so easy because I was going from zero. I was already broke. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's only only up from there. Yep. Um, but I think to to have that and leave it, oh my gosh, like the bravery you have to have to back yourself in that way. Um, and the weird thing is when you're getting started, if you're coming from a point of desperation, the energy is off and it just doesn't work as well. So from a mindset point of view, it's a challenge. But in saying that, if you can do it the safe way and do it in the evenings, um, it doesn't take much to get going. So you can test and measure things on the side and, and not kind of cut off that safety net until you reach a certain point. So, you know, you might say, well, when I hit the first 100,000, then I'm going to hand in that resignation, have my Jerry Maguire moment, out I go um, <laughs> and and do all of that that sort of thing. But it's, it's not going to be easy for that first 12 months. And one of my favourite Oprah quotes is, do what you have to do until you can do what you want to do. And you'll see all these people talking about, oh, you know, that they only work 20 hours a week and that they live these great lifestyles and you don't have to over... No one does that at the beginning. If if they're talking about that at the beginning, like, they're lying. It's just, mm. <laughs> it's just not happening. Um, and I think that it does people a disservice to gloss over that because the first year is going to be hard and so it should be. How hard? Like, I'm just trying to get a sense because, I mean, half of me wants everyone listening to create an online course because it's it's ace and they should and there's an opportunity, new revenue streams, a new lifestyle. But I don't want to sell a dream that is a nightmare. So how hard, what's what's hard? On a scale of one to ten, is, is year one burning the midnight oil, working more than you've ever worked outside inside of corporate, you know, like what's it look like? No. I mean, I am biased because I think I, after running a franchise company, anything's a piece of piss. <laughs> like it makes anything easy. Um, but no, you you definitely will not be burning the midnight oil in it. I think the hard part is not creating the course, but after you've created the course and then you're sitting there at night going, mm, what do I do now? Where to from here? Um, and so the hard part is dealing with that rejection because the way that the growth of online courses work is it takes a while to get traction. So when you're first launching, people will inevitably, their expectation is higher than the result that they're going to get. But then what happens is people start to know, oh, okay, so Tim's now doing this marketing course. Cool. Okay, that's on my radar now. So then next time you launch, you'll get a little bit more traction, but still not heaps because you don't have the testimonial videos, you don't have the runs on the board, like you're still not known for that yet. But then like by the third time, so I recommend launching about every 12 weeks. So then by the third time you've done that, then you get a really good launch. And then it starts to just like this J curve and it just takes off. But the hard part is you've got to show up for your audience that whole nine months. So you've got to deliver through podcast interviews, through webinars, through masterclasses, through social media, through being there and showing people, hey, I'm here in this space. I know what I'm talking about. Let me help you. Let me serve you. And the hard part is at six months when you're not yet making heaps of money, showing up with that same level of enthusiasm and love and care for your customer that you did on day one. What do you mean that you have to launch every 12 weeks? After you've launched, haven't you launched? Good question. Um, so I'm a fan of live launching. So live launching, meaning open the doors for seven days and then close them and then don't let anyone buy your product for another 12 weeks. And I know how counterintuitive that sounds. <laughs> Scarcity. You're playing on scarcity. You are. And this was one thing that at the beginning of my online course journey, I was like, 
really? Like, does that work? Yes. Hell yes, it does. Um, So you will get by opening the doors every 12 weeks and you'd only do that for the first year. And then after the first year, kind of drop it to three launches a year and then two launches a year. Um, And a lot of people that have been going for, you know, three plus years, just do one launch a year. Um, I don't know if I'll ever go there. I do two launches a year and I love it. Um, But every 12 weeks, you're kind of opening the doors and then you're saying at this point, closing. Because what it allows you to do as well is market really intensely. So you've been providing nothing but value and service for kind of that 10 weeks. And then the week before launch and the week of launch, you're like everywhere doing everything, literally saying, now is time to buy my stuff. But then they're running out at that time. So because you've given all that value, people will forgive you for doing such intense marketing. And especially for people, if they've got it as a side hustle, because they've got a corporate job or another business, it works in really nicely because you can kind of do two weeks intense marketing and then the show's over. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I like that. I want to get into a step-by-step approach to starting a million-dollar micro business, Tina. Before we do, just give us examples. Give me three examples, not in great detail, of successful million-dollar micro businesses. There's yours. You're teaching how to create million-dollar micro businesses. Another another couple of examples outside of business. Uh, outside of business. Okay. I was thinking the two people I've got success stories in um, Million Dollar Micro Business, one teaches how to use Instagram, but for business. And the other is on money mindset. So that's not business related. I'm sure she has a lot of business owners in there, but a lot of it is, um, a lot of her clients are just women um, from all walks of life. And she teaches Money Boot Camp is her course, Denise Duffield Thomas. And, and if I were to look at any of these, so um, I buy access I get my password, I log in, is like left-hand side, like chapters of a book. I click on any one chapter on the right-hand side of my screen. I'm then confronted with, what, videos, audios, worksheets, infographics. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah, well, it depends on the offer. So you can, I mean, there's not many rules. So you can deliver however you like. So some people will do exactly as you said, like this is a six-week course and you start here and then each week another lesson is dripped to you. So you're going through that. So one of my clients runs my financial adulting plan, which is financial planning for millennial women. And so one week she'll talk about shares. The next week she'll talk about investing in property. And so she drips that content because if she gave it to everybody up front, it would be overwhelming. Whereas for my short course, I give all of my information up front. So people log in and the whole eight weeks is there. And the reason I do that is for business owners, if I dripped it, they'd get mad at me because a lot of business owners kind of buy it. They won't touch it for two or three weeks because they've got life going on and then they'll have a free weekend and they'll just binge the whole thing <laughs> mm. yeah, yeah, and do yeah. it. So you've got to look at your market to how to kind of deliver that. And then it's whether or not there's any live components. So as I said, one of the reasons that you can get your course completion rate up is making it more experiential than just a self-paced course. So for that, I love to have live components, whether that be while people are going through the course, having a live weekly Q&A session or some hot seats or a masterclass or something that you can actually show up, connect with people and get them to show up. It just allows them to have more of a connection with you, which will then encourage them to complete the course. So it's a little bit different and it depends on price point um, and also depends on, I know some people love lives, like I love doing lives, um, other people hate it. Let's get into the nitty, let's let's get into the nitty gritty of it. Yeah. One, one thing I want to be clear on, million dollar micro business. 
Does that mean what? What? What is that? Is that a business that is generating a million dollars a year? Yes. Is it a business that over the it is? Yes. Yes. And the reason, so, the, yeah, I came up with million dollar micro business because. I'm from such a traditional business background and micro business was always like the size of business, micro business, small business, medium business, large business, always defined by both revenue and team size. And so for me, it blew my mind going, because I hit over a million dollars a year by myself, no team. And now we have, what do we have? Three people on our team. So it doesn't necessarily depend on the amount of bums on seats like it used to. Mm. Um, so million dollar micro business is, yes, a, a business with less than five staff turning over more than a million dollars a year. What kind of margin? Well, it depends on whether you run live events or not. So usually, I mean, I know in, in old business, it used to be, you know, 10 to 20% profit margin was doing very well. Very well. Very well. Very healthy business. We sit at about 40% and then as it hits over a million dollars, that percentage of profit margin grows significantly. So at a million bucks, 60% of that million bucks is ex- expenses. Yeah. That's that's for me because I run conferences. Oh, you run conferences and live yeah. events. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Could you get to a million bucks without doing the live stuff and travelling yeah, around yeah, because yeah. COVID is going to make a bit of a rain on that I parade? I know, right? Yes, yes, mm. very easily, yeah. I also give 10% away to charity, so that's why mine kind of sits nice. there as well. I, I spend a lot of money. <laughs> Good idea. And usually in out in non-pandemic times, 10 to 15% of my revenue is travel too because I travel like a maniac. Yeah, okay. Step one, Tina process for deciding what to create a course on. I think you and I both agree that everyone out there is standing on a mountain of knowledge about something. There'd be a lot of people there right listening right now going, oh, I don't know. I know a little bit about a couple of things, but I don't know a lot about any one thing. I guess that's their decision and maybe there's a limiting belief around that. What do you say to that? And then what is the process for deciding what to create a course on? That's going to sell. Yeah. I find... The most challenging part for people is not actually deciding the one thing, it's cutting out all the other 20 things. Really? So for a lot of people, like if I said to you right now, Tim, what's an online course that you could run? You'd have 20 ideas, right? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, okay. I'll, obviously podcasting. Yeah. Um, I have an interest in the well-being of business owners. Yeah. So I'd like to create a course on that. So I have a deep knowledge of podcasting. I have a deep interest in the well-being of business owners, but I'm not. I look. I'm. Pro, I, I'm. I'm sure I could. I create a course on it, but it would be. I'd have to dig a bit deeper than if I did one on podcasting, which all the information is like right there. You know. Yes. Um, I don't. There's certainly not twenty. And I love what you just said. So that is the key. What you just said is, even though you've got a deep interest in the other thing, do the thing that's the easiest that people already know you for and that people are asking you about. And so that's the easiest way to kind of identify what you should go for is to go, what are people already asking you about? Like if you pay attention to people going, hey, can I pick your brain about this? Or can you tell me how I can do this? Everyone has that thing that will come up again and again. And you've got to both enjoy it as well. So if you were if you were saying, you know what, I could teach people podcasting standing on my ear, but oh my gosh, if I have to talk about podcasting one more time, I'll die. Then that is not the right thing because you do have to talk about it all the time, like again and again and again and again. So you do have to be naturally passionate about it. And then it has to be something that people are willing to pay for as well. So 
Some things, you know, will be a great skill set, but people aren't necessarily willing to fork over money for it. So once you can kind of get all those things in line, um, that's the thing to start with. And the easiest place to start is with something really simple. So Tim, your program wouldn't be podcasting, like how to run a great podcast. It might be how to start a podcast or how to get your first 1000 downloads or how to take your podcast to a million downloads or like really specific. And that always, like the scarcity thing, it's something that people will look at and go, really? Aren't I better to throw the net wide and and get everyone? But the more niche and specific you are, the clearer the messaging and the more you will attract that client so much easier because like I said before, the internet's such a, a loud, busy place that you want to be the perfect solution for someone for something. So don't go too wide. If you go that really niche, you'll get far more traction far more easily. Well, it makes it easy, you know, niches make it easy for people to buy. Um, it makes it easy for the language that you use in your marketing materials. I mean, we've talked about, we've spoken about niches a lot on this show and, and totally agree with you. Um, you know, I was speaking to Seth Godin last year and his wife runs the most successful gluten-free bakery in New York and his, his view was... Wow, it, it's, I didn't know that. Yeah, and he's got nothing to do with it. Um, but his point, I asked him about it, he said, you know, it's not for everyone, but it might just be for you. And it's like, yes. don't be scared to polarise. You know, yeah. honour that, be, be excited to polarise, knowing that those who actually pay attention to you, who buy from you, actually are really into what you have to offer. And that's exciting because yeah. they're the people you want to work with, right? Not the ones who are sort of tie kicking around exactly. and buying it and they're not getting involved. And, you know, it be sounds lovely if people buy your course and don't use it. You've still made money, but it's, it feels a little bit hollow. So I think the idea of niching is is quite exciting. So, okay, step, step two, you've decided on your niche, how do you take that from an idea into an informative course that, again, is going to sell? Yes. Um, well, I have to plug the book here and say the book will walk you through all of this completely. Um, so the reason I wrote Million Dollar Micro Business is so that it makes getting started completely accessible for everybody. Um, but the easiest way to start is to start simply, like start with the people you already have. And, you know, if you sit down and write a list of 10 people that you go, you know what, I know these people in my network, whether they're friends, family, colleagues, wherever they are, these are the people that would benefit from my program and then call them go old school, pick up the telephone, (laughs) even though you're doing an online course and say, Hey, I'm creating this product. What do you think? and ask them if they're into it. And they're going to be your best first clients. So then you can run them through that because it's guaranteed what you think people need to know. So I'll use you as an example again, Tim. Say you're going starting podcasting, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have so much knowledge of podcasting, you forget about what people struggle with the most when they start. And so when you make the first course and you run people through it, they'll ask you lots of questions and go, I'm really stuck on this or I'm really stuck on that or how do I, you know, do all those things. And then you will make tweaks to it. So I always say, don't spend thousands of dollars like on a professional production first course, because most of it, you're going to change after the first group goes through. So I would like film at home, get yourself a nice digital SLR. Um, Even if you've got, I've got an iPhone 12 and the camera quality on them is phenomenal. You could do a whole course filmed with what's in your pocket and then you can get it, get it up, get it out there and start selling. So the biggest mistake I hear from people is they spend like a year planning it out, (laughs) doing everything like, don't. Give yourself two weeks 
get it out there, test and measure, and look at it like a curious experimentation. Yeah, well, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, they're, t- they're infinitely changeable. I mean, you can get in there and you can delete stuff and update stuff and, and add stuff as people All make All the time. It was one of my scariest things about writing the book. You put that out there, you can't <laughs> yeah, change right. it. I change my course all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you say to the point around certainly asking family and friends, hey, I'm going to do a course on, on you know, um, relationships, um, and, you, you know, people go, okay, well, you'd be good at that because you've given me some good advice in the past and they they say oh yeah that sounds like a really good idea and I'd buy that there's a there is a big difference between sharing (laughs) an idea with someone you know what I'm going to say here don't you yeah (laughs) Um, and they go that's awesome and you'd be really good at it and I'd buy it and then you go okay I'm going to do it and you spend all the time and money and do it and then they don't buy it yeah because people are nice by nature people are nice and they want to say nice things yes but that's actually not very helpful no. if you then go down the track. So yeah, 100%. You know, what people the, say the they're going to buy and what they actually buy are two very, very different things because people yeah. don't know what their values are most of the time. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm actually not that much of a fan of um, like surveying the audience because what people actually write is very different to what they, what they do. Um, so I would say just launch. Launch and see what the market Set, see if you've got the offer right. Usually if it doesn't work well in the first time, it's because the messaging isn't clear or the price point's not explained properly or you, you're missing a few key ingredients that the market's looking for. But if you pay enough attention, people's behaviour will show you what you need to do. We're now at the point where we've turned this knowledge into a course. We need a, web, we need a home base. That's going to be the, your website. Uh, that all of a sudden requires someone to potentially write copy, to come up with headlines, to come up with visuals, to come up with a a user experience for that website that is actually going to take people on a journey to buying from you. There's a lot in there, Tina. Now, I know they can, you have a do-it-for-you approach uh, and we'll talk about, again, we'll talk about that, we'll direct people to that later, but like, how do we overcome that limiting belief for people listening right now? Yeah, it can be overwhelming at the start when you say it like that. But I mean, there's checklists. Like I have checklists for everything and you just go, just follow the next thing. Don't psych out on all the things. The good part about now is, so you mentioned Kajabi before. I use Kajabi for my website software. I've got a client who's nearly 70, who has no tech experience, who can build it. Love it. It's amazing. Yeah. So it's very user-friendly. Anyone can build a website in about a day or two. Um, using so it's Kajabi. Not, using Kajabi, yeah. It's not like so it So just to be, to be clear, again, because this, that's, that's tech talk and we avoid tech talk on the show, but, <laughs> but a platform like Kajabi, and there are other platforms, basically um, is a content management system for your website, but it has inbuilt integration into payment systems. Yeah. And do you want to just keep explaining just a little bit more so that people get a sense of, oh, yeah. something like that exists and I yeah, just have so to... Yeah, so it has your whole complete thing. So say you go, okay, I want to make a homepage. It's got your template there and you just switch out what they've got for your pictures, your headings, your different things in there. But then you've got your sales page, which is where you're selling your program. So you've got, okay, who's it for? Who's it not for? What does it include? And then you just put your pricing block in there and that connects to your payment gateway, which then pays money into your bank account and gives them access then to your course. So then what that looks like is you've got your course, you say, okay, it's this many weeks long, this many categories with this many lessons in each category. And then you just upload your videos and your downloads if you've got any worksheets or anything like that into each of those slots. So it's it's quite simple. Geez, you made that sound easy. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Love it. it's quite it's quite simple. Yeah. I mean, I think with like a lot of people get held up on the copywriting as well. Yes. And I've had people get professional copywriters, and I know the copywriters are gonna want to shoot me between the eyes for this, but often your voice is going to be better. Um, So if you actually just think of your customer and I like to name them, which I'm I'm sure you've talked about before, like my perfect customer is Alice Carrington and and I I talk only to her. Mm -hmm. So I don't try and, you know, write copy for, hello, everybody. Like it's Mm -hmm. just Alice. And so, all right, this is what you're feeling right now. This is where you're going to go. This is what I can do for you. And so I write everything as if I'm just talking to her and that just keeps it more casual and more personal as well. And that's really important, you know, like the, having that avatar and having that one person and knowing that person intimately. I mean, no one no one else is going to know your person, your avatar. You've you've mentioned Alice Alice Carrington, yeah. quite a quite a Victorian name. <laughs> Isn't too. she so um, sophisticated? <laughs> was, was she in upstairs downstairs? <laughs> <laughs> she just I just love her. <laughs> So, so, but importantly, um, around Alice or whoever the avatar is that you're creating for your online course, you want to know, you know, not just demographic information, but you want to know what keeps them up at night and what does success look like for them? What brands do they love? What, you know, those kind of questions that give you a greater sense of, of how they think and what they think about. And then you can start creating solutions exactly. that will make their life easier. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, because yeah, demographics are kind of out the window. I mean, I've got customers all through Australia, the US, Canada, South America. I've got one in Bermuda, <laughs> like just so random. What's the 70-year-old creating a course on? Oh, do you know what? She's doing it on personal style and confidence um, because her career has been, you know, bringing out women's confidence and she's ran multiple businesses and she says, you know what, I'm just not done yet. I want to help the next generation. She's amazing. Love it. Okay, we've got the website up. I know we're, we're brushing through this, but it is all in your book and there are some resources that I'm going to pe- direct people to. In fact, you can go to tinatower.com forward slash Timbo and you are going to find a plethora of resources. Um, best ways to market an online course, Tina, um, listen to the Small Business Big Marketing podcast, number one, and there'll be... <laughs> 560 episodes of ideas there. <laughs> but, you know, in your experience, yeah, what are the best ways of, of getting a message out there? Yeah, so my advice is a bit different to most people that teach um, online course marketing. So I got to my first seven figures with no Facebook advertising, which is very, very rare. Um, I'm more into content marketing than advertising because I think it's hard to get it right in the early days. Um, So I'm in for massive value. So I do a lot of social media so I can connect with people personally. So weirdly, most of my, which Tim, you'll get this, most of my clients come through the podcast, number one. And second is Instagram stories, um, which totally was not what I expected when I started because Instagram stories are nothing profound. <laughs> like they're very casual, but that's exactly the point is it allows you to connect with people on a more human to human level. Um, What's an example of an Instagram story you've done that's generated great sales? Oh, so for me, I show up on Instagram stories every day and I talk about what I'm doing that day. And so people will ask me questions all the time um, about the different things that I'm doing. Like say I show a camera, what's that camera that you're using? Or a mic, what sort of mic are you using? And I'll, I'll reply to that. So then when I go to sell, when I'm having my launch weeks and I sell through Instagram stories, I've got like the question stickers and people will say, you know, ask me a question about the program and then I can send a voice memo and then we jump on Zoom, have a chat and then they buy the program. So it's it just it, the door's already open to that dialogue. Just understanding that. So you put the Instagram story out, they're asking questions, you, you develop a, a to and fro conversation. Is there a point there where you say, hey, listen, 
individual person, um, let's grab a quick zoom. Yes. And you do a one-on-one with them, do you? And that's that's where the conversion happens? Yes. Do you do that all the time? That sounds that sounds incredibly time-consuming. No, so I do that for my mastermind. So for my that's a high-ticket program. So my mastermind's $1,000 a month, so it's worth... Oh, so they're already a client. ...jumping on. No, that's for new people. So in my open, we have, have a Zoom call with every single person that joins. Yeah. Got it. Um, but for short courses, so say someone's asking me about launching, I'd say just get limited launch formula. Here's the link, and I'll send them straight to the sales page. Got it. They're, they're the steps. I know. Again, we've we've done the sort of macro view of those, and you'll pick it m- much more up in in Tina's book, in Tina's podcast, which is called Tina, her Empire Builder. Nice. Yeah. Nice. What are you most excited about in all this new business that you've created? You've sold a bricks and mortar business. You made a lot of dough from that, but it nearly killed you. And now you've created something. You've found something where you can create uh, just as much value, make just as much money, have an incredible lifestyle. What what excites you most about this new way of life? Yeah. Incredibly wealthy women excite me. Um, So there's still a lot more men than women at the top. And from what I've seen from the women that become very wealthy, they spend money traditionally very differently. Um, Women, when they create wealth, you know, they put it back into their communities. They're philanthropic. They do a lot of great things with it. Um, And every week I see women being able to push out of their comfort zones to get closer towards this life that they've always imagined that they could live, but didn't really know it was possible for them. And I see that every single day. And it just, yeah, it gets me very, very excited. Cause I mean, I felt like I found like when I had the franchise, people would look at me from the outside and be like, wow, you've got 35 locations. You're 30 years old. That's so impressive. But as you know, and everyone listening knows, like I was dying on the inside. It's really hard work. I worked 12 hour days. I was just not, you know, it wasn't conducive to a joyful life. Whereas now I get to show up, serve people, but I also have time with my husband and with my kids and get to do great things. And we sponsor girls in Africa to go to school and we get to do all of these amazing things while helping people. And so for me now, I get to help people help other people. And it's just, it's very cool. It's a great story, Tina. And it's lovely to have you back on the Small Business Big Marketing Podcast. And Thanks, see Timo. An, an incredible, you know, transition, progression. Right. And may it continue because you're doing really good stuff. Thank you. Thanks for having me. There you go, team. Online course whiz kid, Tina Tower. Do you enjoy that? Are you motivated to turn that mountain of knowledge that you are standing on, by the way, into a course and, dare I say it, a lifestyle business? I hope so. If you are, then at very, very least, grab a copy of Tina's book. I've read it. It is fantastic. If you're really, really serious, then get her course, Idea to Launch. It's called the Idea to Launch course over at tinatower.com forward slash Timbo. And I'll send you a free signed copy of my book, The Boomerang Effect, which will help you get possibly your first clients. Gotta love that. Here's my top three attention grabbers from that chat with Tina. Attention grabber number one. I love, love, love the fact that it's possible without having to mortgage the house to create an online business that has the potential to replace your current day job much quicker than you think. Or if you're not looking to replace your day job, then to add another significant revenue stream to that beautiful business of yours. Attention grabber number two. I love what Tina said about you becoming the product. Like I have said so many times before, personal branding is your point of difference in a crowded marketplace, which I'm sure you operate in. 
So here's another reminder to start building yours. Attention grabber number three. I love the idea of having an alter ego when it comes to creating your content. So as of now, I'm going to channel Boobsy Wallace, but you don't know that. That's my alter ego and that's just who I'm talking to. You got it? So get your alter ego working and all of a sudden, that kind of hesitation around putting your head above the trench and creating content with your face on it, your voice on it, may be a lot easier. Boobsy Wallace, hey? That's what grabbed my attention. I'd love to know what grabbed yours. Call the Small Business Big Marketing Hotline after the show's over on 0480 015150 and let me know. Just like past guest, Michael F. Shine did. Hey there, this is Michael F. Shine, author of The Hype Handbook, published by McGraw-Hill. I just want to say how wonderful my experience was, you know, being on Tim's podcast, not only because of the awesome conversation we had, but because of the result. You know, I'm here in the United States. I'm out there trying to promote my new book. And I, you know, was referred to a spot on the show. Didn't know much about it because I'm here in the U.S. Did the show, had a great time. And then a day or two after I appeared on the podcast, just out of, you know, curiosity, I checked my stats on Australia's Amazon and the book was overnight number 5,000 of all books in Australia. And, you know, number 5,000 might not seem like that high, but think about the millions of people living in Australia. And that went from the book barely having a presence uh, down under to being the 5,000th most popular book out there, including J.K. Rowling, Stephen King, John Grisham, Seth Godin, the whole bunch. And it was a whole lot higher in the marketing and sales category. So I am uh, really convinced now of the uh, the power of Tim's show and everything that Tim does. And I just want to say thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Michael. Uh, for those who didn't hear Michael's episode, it's episode 555 and he talks about how to create hype marketing. I thoroughly enjoyed that chat. And it doesn't surprise me. It's the power of podcasting, Michael. I keep talking to my wonderful listeners saying, get an interview on a podcast. It helps you articulate your message. It helps create awareness around that brand of yours, that personal brand of yours. And it's just a good thing to do. So, Michael, well done. Thank you for letting me know. And I love the fact that, you know, you're not celebrating the fact that your book's number one in Australia. It's in the 5,000s, but that is a significant achievement. And I'm honoured to have played a small part in it. Everyone else, get on a podcast, but also give us a ring and let me know what marketing is working for you. That almost brings us to the end of episode 561. If you haven't already, uh, grab a copy of my book, The Boomerang Effect, over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. It'll show you how to create helpful marketing. And I'd love to hear from you. You know, what marketing's working? What did you think of this episode, past episodes? Give us a buzz, 0480-015-150. And if you're loving the Small Business Big Marketing podcast, you'll find another 560 more episodes on your favourite podcast app. This podcast was presented by me, Timbo Reed. The Music Bed was written, sung and produced by Hammond Organ aficionado and past guest Lockie Dolly and made to shine by producer Romy Scher. Until next time, thank you so much for tuning in. May your marketing be the absolute best marketing. Bye for now.